Well, today we're going to finish up a series uh, that we've been in over the last several weeks called Sila. This is um, this has been a deeply personal series of messages for me. Um, you could probably tell that I've been struggling uh, to get through all the material. Uh, several years ago, the Lord really started speaking to me about Sabbath uh, because, quite frankly, I wasn't taking a Sabbath. I wasn't Sabbathing. I wasn't living a Sabbath life. Uh, I, um, I am a bit of a workaholic, um, and that's an, that's an understatement. I love to work. I love what I do, and so um, I'm not one of those people who, you know, I get tired, but, but working charges my batteries because I enjoy, I enjoy it. That's different than other people. I understand that, but the, the problem with that is that it gets me to a place uh, where I'm really not honoring the Lord uh, in Sabbathing, and I'm not honoring the Lord and honoring His Word, and I'm not honor. Most importantly, I'm not honoring the rhythm that He created me for. And uh, so, several years ago, the Lord began to talk to me uh, about Sabbath and began to convict me in the area of Sabbath. And so, for several years, I've been studying about uh, Sabbath. And so, that's why it's been challenging for me really to get through all of all of the material. Uh, last I think it was last week or the week before, Desiree was like, I don't know why you made this a four-week series. You should have made it an eight-week series, and then you wouldn't have been so long-winded every Sunday. And I'm like, you're right. I should have made it an eight-week series. Um, I, I think that as followers of Jesus, there's a lot of misunderstanding around Sabbath. There's a lot of misunderstanding around uh, many of the things that are for our good as believers. Now, we've talked about it for several weeks. We use this word sila uh, because the word sila is found in the book of Psalms and the book of Habakkuk, and it really isn't a word that gives us information. It really was a musical notation uh, to the one who was singing the song or performing the music, and the musical notation simply means to pause, uh, to allow for a musical interlude so the hearer could could contemplate what was being declared in the song. It was a moment of reset for the musician, of building excitement and anticipation and reflection in the music. And so we've used that word sila really as a description for Sabbath because Sabbath is all about that. Sabbath is all about pausing and reflecting and rehearsing the goodness of God. So we've said in this series that Selah is when we pause to reflect and rehearse the goodness of God, allowing that revelation, the revelation of the goodness of God, to reset us. And we've, we've talked about that over several weeks, and I'm, I'm hoping that it's beginning to settle into uh, your spirit, because I believe that that understanding changes everything for us. I, I've shared... Uh, my story a little bit. Uh, my parents, uh, my parents became Christians uh, right around the time I was born. Um, just in case you didn't know, I was born on December twenty third. Hint, hint. Um, but right around the time I was born, um, my parents. So around forty six years ago, my parents uh, became Christians. Now, my mom had been raised in a home. Uh, around some Christianity, my dad not really, uh, but they they really became believers uh, when I was when I was around the time I was born, um, and and radically, my dad especially radically radically saved, and 
I've told you that before, because, but I've also shared with you that as a first-generation Christian family, we were, we, were really, we were really rough around the edges, as you might say. We didn't have it all figured out. You know, we weren't that like perfect little Christian family. In fact, a lot of my spirituality growing up, um, I, I don't know other, I've tried to search for another term because I don't want to make light of, of, of mental illness, but it almost felt like, schiz, like I was living schiz, spiritual schizophrenia. Like we would, none of you had this experience. We would be like driving to church, yelling and screaming and fighting. Like mom's over the back seat. <laughs> dads i will pull this car over like that on the way to church and then we get there and it's like oh praise the lord none of y'all none of y'all did that this morning right that like i remember like so many times because my sister is my it's even to this day i love my sister but she's like perpetually late to everything in her life and so every sunday morning she was perpetually late getting out the door. My sister's a, she's a beautiful woman, uh, but she takes her time to get ready to make sure she looks that way for her. And it's always been that way. So every Sunday morning, it was like a fight to get her out the door. Then mom and my sister be fighting all the way to church, and then I'd smart off, and then, you know, it'd just go crazy. So there's this sense in which, you know, we were rough around the edges, but but then then, there, then we would go to church, and we were going to be in the presence of God, and, and my mom, you know, she would sing, and all, all this stuff would go on, and, and I was always feeling pulled in these different directions, you know, there was something about this spirituality, this Christianity that, that really didn't, it didn't all add up to me, it didn't always, it didn't always make sense to me. On the one hand, we we were this normal family. Well, we were never normal. We were this family. And, and there was all this, there was fighting and there was this and there was this. And we were so irreligious in so many ways. But then, but then I remember as a child one day noticing that my mom always wore skirts to church or dresses. And I remember asking my mom, mom, why don't you wear pants to church? And she's like, oh, Randy, I can't wear pants to church. And I'm like, what? She's like, no, 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 you can't wear, you can't wear pants to church. And, and I'm like, mom, like, where's that in the Bible? And so she gets her Bible out. She's thumbing through. Can't really find nowhere it says do not wear pants to church. Then she finds this obscure passage of Scripture that says something about women not wearing men's garments. And I, I mean, even then as a kid, I didn't have the heart to tell her that, Mom, you do realize that historically that women wore pants before men. So pants were really a woman's garment before. Y'all knew that, right? I didn't have the heart to tell her that. All I knew was it didn't make sense that there was these rules around Sabbath, these rules around church and spirituality that it seemed like we just had to live. But on the other hand, there were all these other areas of our life outside of the Sabbath rules, the Sunday rules, the church rules, where our lives certainly weren't reflecting peace and joy and generosity and the heart of God and kindness and the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, we could talk in tongues and we could tell each other off. It didn't make sense. 
But when it came to the Sunday rules, like I had to wear certain clothes to church, hair had to be cut a certain way. Hello? I remember, I remember as I became a teenager, I worked at my dad's shop. And I remember um, my dad's shop was only open from like 7 o'clock in the morning till 5, 6 o'clock. And when I was in school, I didn't have enough hours. I wasn't getting enough hours. I wasn't making enough money. So I wanted to get a job uh, in the evening. And I remember that I was told, well, you can't get a job on Sunday. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I won't get a job during church time, but I'll get a church job in the evening on Sunday. No, you can't get it. You can't work on Sunday. Now, this is after having grown up in church and going to restaurants every Sunday for lunch after church. I couldn't add it up in my mind. How is it that I am able to go and benefit from somebody else breaking the Sabbath every Sunday, but I can't? get a job on Sunday. I remember I was very involved in sports. I was not allowed to play on sports teams that had practices on Sunday because if I went to practice on Sunday, I was breaking the Sabbath. Now, me and my dad would sit down every Sunday afternoon and watch the Dallas Cowboys play football. I would benefit from these men not, they weren't going to church on Sunday. I would benefit from them playing sport on Sunday, but I wasn't allowed to because I would be breaking the Sabbath. Are you with me? I couldn't understand the disconnect between our understanding of spirituality and our understanding of what it meant to be followers of Jesus Christ and how it wasn't adding up in my life and how the rules seemed to be different and couldn't be found in the Bible. Like some preacher would come through and he would get on his high horse about women wearing pants. Or he would get on his high horse about some issue or another. And you couldn't really find it in scripture. It was his opinion. Or he would take a verse in the Bible out of context. Twist it up to mean whatever his social, political, or ideal agenda was. This left me with a form of spirituality that wasn't, it was not just not attractive. It was something that I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a part of it. And, and that's a real problem because what I understand from Scripture is the whole purpose of Sabbath was that Sabbath was supposed to be a transgenerational testimony of the goodness of God. It was supposed to be the process socially whereby we transferred from us to our children the method and the message that God is good and that he is our provision and that we are his people. Selah, our Sabbath, is a socioeconomic system that orients man towards sharing in that which is already good. Did you hear me? When we talk about Selah, when we talk about Sabbath, we're talking about this system that has been created by God to orient us toward the goodness of God. We said it last week, Sabbath is an imprint of the goodness and the provision of God. If you weren't here last Sunday or, or during this series, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the messages Everything that I've said so far today has built on 
uh, the messages that we've shared up until this point. Last Sunday, we leaned very particularly into the idea of provision. God's, uh, God's call for us to be a Sabbath people really is a call to a counterculture economy. We are called to live in a counterculture economy that changes the way that we spend our money. It changes the way that we work. It changes the way that we interact with the world. Remember I said earlier, Sabbath was so significant and important because it was this transgenerational transference of the identity as children of God. We get that from Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 and 13. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. God called his people to keep the Sabbaths because remember, Sabbath isn't about a day. It was actually about a series of days, festivals, annual events, events that happened every several years that told God's people, you are my people, I am your God, I am your source, and you are to live in my kingdom. Sabbath, what we've learned so far, is that Sabbath that is not rooted in the goodness of God becomes another form of slavery. And see, that's, that's what I saw growing up. My poor mother, my poor mother was convinced, she was convinced that somehow or another she was hurting the heart of God if she wore pants to church. None of you have ever met my mom before. If you ever meet my mom, you're going to find this is the kindest woman you will ever know. She loves people so much that the thought, the thought of hurting someone else in any way literally will make her cry like that. I've never seen anyone in the world cry as easy as my mom cries. The most tender, tender heart. And she lived her, her Christianity for so many years in bondage because some uninformed preacher decided that women wearing pants was offensive to God. Slavery. It didn't make sense. It wasn't in the Bible. It wasn't in the Bible. It was a socio-cultural idea and concept that someone had twisted scripture put in place just as another form of subjugation, just as another form of slavery. God's people had come to a place in my life where we couldn't work on Sunday, but we could sure go to the restaurant and enjoy other people working. We couldn't work on Sunday, but we would sure go to the supermarket and buy our groceries. Just another form of slavery. What happens if you can't find a job that doesn't work on Sunday? 
What does that do to you mentally and emotionally? Imagine that. Imagine people being raised in a church their entire life, being taught that if you work on Sunday, you are disappointing God, and you won't be blessed. And what happens if something turns in the economy or something twists in your life, and the only job you can find works on Sunday? What does that do to people emotionally? What does that do to people spiritually? Imagine. Imagine growing up where you're, you can't, son, I'm sorry, you can't play any sports on Sunday, but come sit down with me and we'll kick up our heels and we'll, we'll watch the soccer game. What are we communicating? The hypocrisy. This is why, this is why God told Moses, your people must practice the Sabbath and in practicing the Sabbath, they're going to pass on a message to their children. But when the Sabbath becomes dysfunctional, when the Sabbath becomes what it was never intended to be, guess what happens to the Sabbath? The Sabbath exchanges one form of slavery for another form of slavery. It takes a person who's trying to escape one form of bondage and they're in another form of bondage. We talked about it so much last week. I, I want to read from you. There are so many examples in Scripture that I could have chosen. Uh, but I'm going to read to you from Amos chapter 5. I know there's not a lot of people don't often refer to the book of Amos. Uh, a minor prophet, just an incredible book. But I chose Amos chapter 5 because actually it's a song also. Selah isn't found in, in there, but it is a song. So I felt like it fit really with our, our theme. Um, so let me read from a Amos chapter 5 to you. I wish I could read the whole chapter uh, but I'm just going to read verses 21 through 24. It says this. This is, this is God speaking. It's the prophet singing the song as God is speaking over his people. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though, get this, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings... I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. When you, when you read uh, the book of Amos... Like many of the prophets, Amos was sent to really warn God's people about their sin and their brokenness and how far they were away from God. And Amos in particular, as he's sharing this with them, is pointing out the fact that they are, they're keeping the Sabbath laws, they're keeping the festival laws, they're doing all of the religious stuff, they're even doing the extra stuff that some preacher added on to what God actually wanted them to do. They're following all of the rules, but their hearts are so far from God, the book of Amos really is this warning letter to the people saying, you are being rejected, you're not being rejected because you're not doing all the religious stuff you're being rejected because in the religious stuff that you're doing your heart is far from me God said I don't even want to I, I don't want your offerings anymore 
I don't want your offerings. Don't break. You follow all of these procedures. I don't want your offerings. I don't want your songs. I don't want all the stuff that you do. I don't, ca- I don't care about that. You're my people. I love you. I want relationship with you. And ultimately, your heart is not obedient toward me. You're following the rules, but in your heart, you're disobedient toward me. And so as a result, you're being rejected. Here's the thing. When our spirituality is entangled in the socioeconomic system of the fall, we are rejecting God. Now, for those of you who haven't been with us over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the fact that as you study Scripture, what you come to understand is that Sabbath was established before the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. A lot of people think Sabbath is only a part of the law of Moses, and that's a misunderstanding of what Sabbath is all about. Sabbath is a covenant day that God created that is the first thing that God set apart. That's what the word to be made holy is, is to be set apart, that God set apart as a demonstration of his goodness and a celebration of his provision. And before the fall of man, God created the Sabbath as an establishment and a connection to his identity. Here's the problem. Most of our spirituality, most of our Christianity reflects more of a response to the fall than it does a response to the Father. Well, that's, that's the good one-liner right there. That's the bumper sticker. I, I hope I can. Most of our Christianity looks more like a response to the fall than it does a response to the father. My mother being told that she can't wear pants to church was a response to the fall. It was people who took the Bible out of context who don't understand history and they get up in front of people and they start teaching stuff that's nonsense because what they're really interested in is they're really interested in living out Genesis chapter 3 and really what they're interested in is reflecting the subjugation of women over men, reflecting a culture of patriarchy. They're more interested in the fall than they are the father. So because I want to reflect the culture of the subjugation of women, I twist the scripture that has nothing to do with whether or not a modern woman wears pants to church. And I take it because I'm reflecting the fall because my heart is rooted in the fall. And I twist scripture so that I continue to behave like a fallen person instead of a redeemed person who God has called us to be before the fall. Sabbath is all about life before the fall. But when our spirituality and our theology is rooted in furthering the mindset and the slavery of the fall, we have a tendency to teach and practice a Christianity that doesn't add up. Notice what I or what I read there from Amos chapter 5. Let me read another verse to you from earlier. It says this in verse 7. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. See, part of the problem in the book of Amos and the letter that the prophet was writing to the people was that their spirituality had become as such that they were following the rules of the law, but they were twisting the law so that they could subjugate other people. 
so that they could take advantage of other people. It's like we talked about last Sunday when the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the leaders of the temple, had taken the court of the Gentiles and had turned the court of the Gentiles into a marketplace so that they could exchange money and so that they could extract funds from people to buy sacrifices. They didn't care about the Gentiles. They didn't care that God had created the temples, created within the context of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, so that all the nations could be blessed by the Messiah. They didn't care about the people. What they cared about was enriching themselves. The same was true about God's people. When Amos was writing to them or Amos was speaking to them, they had come to a place where it really wasn't about the worship of Yahweh. What it was about was making themselves enriched. And so justice had gone out the window. People weren't receiving justice from the court system. People were being bribed. People were stealing. People were taking advantage of others. And notice what the prophet said. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. See, here's the thing. You can always detect when calls or attempts for justice are rooted in bitterness because there is a willingness to trample righteousness to accomplish its stated purpose. A short way of understanding when that is happening is this. You will hear things like, the ends justify the means. There are many so-called Christian nations and there are many so-called Christian companies and there are many so-called Christians who live by the mindset that the ends justify the means. It doesn't matter how you get to justice as long as there's justice according to my standards. The reason we have such a revolt against the church around the world right now is that you have an entire generation of young people who are looking at the church and looking at church history and saying, where is the church's voice in executing justice on the earth? And when we get up and we say, no, we're here for justice, they look at us and they say, really? You're here for justice? You have for years been preaching and declaring justice, and yet you've been living by the mantra of ends justify the means whatever it takes as long as we get what we want. That's exactly what God's people had come to in the book of Amos. That's what the Pharisees had come to. In fact, human history says over and over and over again, that's how humans live. Why is that? We live that way because that's the way a slave survives. The only way a slave survives is doing whatever it takes. In a cultural system where you are subjugated, where you are beaten, where you are oppressed, in a cultural system in which everything is built against you, the only way that you survive is to live by the mantra of, I'll do whatever it takes to survive. Genesis chapter 3, we became slaves, and so therefore we created a spirituality and a mindset and a theology that says, I will do whatever it takes to survive. Yet, Sabbath... Selah is not a call to Genesis chapter 3. Selah, Sabbath, is a call to that seventh day. After God had created man in his own image, and he said, come and join me in my goodness. Not in a mindset that is rooted in slavery. Not a mindset in the way that I treat other people that says, I am the executor of justice and I'm willing to trample on righteousness so that I can get justice, so that I can make things right. God is calling us to a social system in which we are surrendered to the Father and His goodwill. 
See, the lack of social equality is a direct result of the curse of sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 says this. To the woman, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned in the Garden of Eden, after the serpent has been cursed, to the woman. God says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. We talked about that. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. We talked about how sin distorted production. But get this. Your desire for your husband, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. If you read it in the original language that your desire will be for your husband means you're, you're going to long for his affection and you're not going to get it. There's going to be a distortion and a brokenness in your relationship. In other words, life outside of Selah, life outside of Sabbath, life under the curse leaves us in a state of longing and disappointment. That's what the curse was. The curse said in our social system, listen, the only social system that existed in the beginning was Adam and Eve and their relationship with God. A part of the curse was that our social system was going to be broken as a result of sin. We would be cursed with longing and disappointment. In that first husband and wife relationship, in that first covenant relationship between man and man, God said as a result of sin, there will be longing and there will be disappointment. We've spent years upon years upon years upon years building a theology and a philosophy and a church system that perpetuates the longing and the disappointment. We counsel people in their marriages. We take verses of scripture out of context and we talk about the man as the head of the home and the, the woman has to the woman has to submit. Where did that come from? It came from Genesis chapter 3. It came from the curse. No, no, pastor, that's my culture. Or no, no, pastor, I see this in scripture. Go read it in scripture, sir. Where you read it, it does say, yeah, the woman, she's to, she's to love her husband that way. But, he, but it only works when the husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church so much so that he gave himself up for her. Go crawl up on that cross every single day and die to yourself and then make a claim on your wife's affection. Go live that cross every day and then decide to tell your wife how she's supposed to act. We take cultural systems, we take broken systems, and we create theologies that perpetuate Genesis chapter 3, brokenness. We create entire societies around Genesis chapter 3, brokenness. God made it very clear that longing and disappointment in our relationships, inequality in our relationships is a result of the fall. This is why the New Testament spends so much time and so much energy saying, in the kingdom of God, there is not male and there is not female, there is not slave and there is not free. There isn't black, there isn't white, there isn't rich, there isn't poor. We're equal. Pre the fall, we were all equal.
equal. We were all in the image of God. We must practice a spirituality. We must have a society and a culture as Christians that understands that we are not called to perpetuate the fall. We are called to live beyond the fall in the garden, the place that God created us for. How many of us in our marriages, in our relationships, how many of us live perpetually in that place of longing and in that place of disappointment? How many of us in our relationships with our neighbors, our friends, our families, our jobs, our social circles continually are disappointed, continually are longing, are continually in a place where in our soul there's no satisfaction? In our soul, there's no fulfillment. God has called us as his people. He's called us as his people to live counterculture. Selah, Sabbath, means that we are counterculture. When all the rest of the world around the Hebrews was rushing out to work on that seventh day, when all the rest of the world, besides the Hebrews, were forever holding people in slavery, forever not returning to them what, they, what belonged to their ancestors. When other cultures and other societies were rushing around and not taking care of one another and not loving one another and not serving one another. What we see repeatedly is God calling his people back to this culture that honored the kingdom, that reflected the Trinity, that reflected a relationship and a oneness in which we honored one another, in which we promoted one another, in which we served one another, in which we loved one another. Sabbath, Selah, it's not just about a day off, but it's a day, it's a season, it's a time, it's a lifestyle. It says, I choose a culture that doesn't reflect my broken character. That doesn't reflect my broken culture. I refuse to take verses of scripture out of the Bible to proof text my culture. Instead, I will allow the Bible to inform the culture of my home. No, 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 pastor. This is the way Indian homes do it. I celebrate your home. But Indian homes have to be surrendered to the culture of the kingdom of God. No, 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 pastor. This is the way white homes in South Africa do it. I celebrate your culture. That's wonderful. But white homes in South Africa have to be surrendered to the culture of the kingdom of God. No, 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 pastor. I'm Zulu. And us Zulus, this is, just how, this is just how our marriages work. That's wonderful. I celebrate your culture. But if the way your marriages work doesn't line up with the way the kingdom of God works, then you can't call yourself a Christian, friend. You're something else. It's true for every one of us. And it starts, it starts in our home. See, Sabbath started in the home, and it flowed out of the home to the community, and ultimately to the whole world. The charge, the challenge for every one of us this morning 
is that we start with our Sabbath, our Selah in our homes. God, is your culture, the truth of your word being reflected in my home? And you may say, well, pastor, the problem is you, you talk about stuff in here that I've, I've never heard before. I thought I, couldn't wear, I thought I couldn't wear pants to church either. I'm not making light of that. There are many people who have been lied to in the name of, in the name of false preaching and false teaching around nonsense. And that's not your fault, but it is your challenge to break open your Bible and begin to read it. This is why daily 20 isn't a game for us. This is why we challenge you in a daily 20. Because you've got to know your word so that when you hear nonsense, you know it's nonsense. When somebody comes and says something that seems to be perpetuating subjugation and pain and slavery, that you say, hey, show me in scripture where that's at. And when they are fumbling around and they pull something out of context, you say, wait a second, before you just take that one little verse, let's read what it says before and let's read what it says after because I know my word and you're not representing what it actually says. That's why daily 20 is not a game. It's got to become our life. That's why we say we're a disciple-making community here at North Place Church because we are committed to you knowing the Word of God for yourself. That's why, so that when you hear nonsense, you'll know it. That's why when you hear stuff that doesn't make sense to you, you'll be able to line it up. Either it lines up with Scripture or it doesn't line up with Scripture. If it does, praise God. If it doesn't, out the window. 2022 is going to be an amazing year here at North Place. There are going to be so many opportunities for you to grow as a follower of Jesus. And I want to encourage you. You're going to get busy. Life is going to happen. Stuff's going to move on. I know that. And there's going to be all of these opportunities for you to grow. And you're going to be busy and life's going to be happening. And my question, my continual reminder to you is, are you living in a rhythm of Selah? Are you living in a rhythm of Sabbath? That means when opportunities for disciple classes or Bible classes or care groups or whatever may happen come along, are you prioritizing that development in your life so that you have this rhythm that's leading to a healthy culture and a healthy economy in your home? Hebrews chapter 4 verses 9 through 11 says this, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The writer was talking about people who ultimately were disobedient to God and in being disobedient to God rejected Christ who came as our Sabbath rest. As we look towards Christmas this week, understand of all the things that Jesus is, He is our Sabbath rest. And for every one of us in this room, He's come. He's come to establish within our life a rhythm, a rhythm of work and rest, a rhythm of healthy culture and healthy economy in our homes. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for this series of messages as we are coming to the end of the year in which you are taking us deeper 
And you're untangling. You're untangling so many things that many of us have thought and believed. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your blessing. We receive it and declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.